0: want to give a special Mother's Day shout out to all of the moms out there. Those that are in our actual physical class and those extended moms in our internet class. I know, for example, uh, Tammy Biasy sent us an email that said her mother's been in a wreck. Alona Canfield watches our class from the hospital where she can't get visitors, but she's watching our class. And so we've got a, 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 a A host of internet watchers that aren't normal class members. And to all of you, I wish you a happy Mother's Day if you are a mom. Now, class itself is one where we're in the middle of a series. And this series is one on the road to Emmaus, which is found in Luke 24. Now, that's a road that Jesus was was uh, uh, on and encountered two of his disciples on Easter Sunday. The disciples didn't recognize Jesus for who he was, but on this story, or on this road, Jesus told those disciples Old Testament passages, starting with Moses and the prophets. And he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So last couple of weeks we looked at some of the teachings from Moses. This week we're making a pivot. This week we're going to start looking at passages that are in the prophets. Now, you might be thinking the prophets are are books like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, those minor prophets, Amos and Micah and Obadiah and, and others. But and, and you'd be right, but in the Hebrew Bible, those are not the only books that are accorded the status of being books of prophecy, or books of the prophets, I should say. One of the prophet books is the book of Ruth. And that's the book that we're gonna look at today. So today, let's journey back with those disciples into the Old Testament scriptures so that we can better see jesus and better understand who he is in our life today and we'll do that this morning by looking at ruth ruth is an old testament love story that previews the love of king jesus for his people now if you were with us live You'd be able to be in the chapel where we are, and you could see the paintings, the montage paintings on the ceiling. Or perhaps I could give you one of our chapel booklets. The chapel booklets uh, uh, have the paintings on the ceilings, but you're not here. So what I would like to do instead, because I'd love you to see these if you want at the end of class. I'll give you a a web address where you can email and you can download a copy of the chapel booklet and actually look at these paintings and hang on to them. So that stone chapel booklet will be given to you. Meanwhile, here's what the painting looks like from the montage of Ruth. Now, this is found after the Moses paintings in the chapel. But here's the key. It's a Hebrew painting, in a sense. So you have to read it right to left, not left to right. So chapter one of Ruth is on the right side of your screen. Chapter two of Ruth is next, followed by chapter three and ending with the final chapter four. But you can't peek ahead. We need to go through this story chapter by chapter. So let's start with chapter one. Ruth chapter 1. There is a man named Elimelech. Elimelech lives around Bethlehem. Now there were multiple Bethlehems. This is the Bethlehem that is of, of uh, outside of Jerusalem, just a little south of Jerusalem in the hill country, Bethlehem Ephratah. So in Bethlehem, or right outside it, lives this man named Elimelech. Now he gets married. He marries a woman. Her name is Naomi. And Naomi and he have a good life, but a famine sets into the land. And when the famine sets in, life quickly turns hard. They have two sons, one is named Machlon, and the other one is, is uh, named, um, it's C, Kilion, Kilion in Hebrew, Kilion in Hebrew, but it's, when you read it, it reads like Kilion, but we'll stick with the Hebrew pronunciation, it's just Kilion. So Kilion and Machlon are the two children, two sons, When the famine sets in, Elimelech says, I got to do something. We don't have any food here, but I understand there's food over in Moab. So he leaves Bethlehem, leaves Israel, and goes to a foreign land, Moab. And when he's in Moab, uh, his two sons uh, find these two Moabite young ladies attractive, and they marry them. Orpah and Ruth. Well, Elimelech, the husband, dies. And then Machlon dies. And then Kilion dies. And Ruth is there, and she tells her two daughter-in-laws, go on home to your mama's. He really says that, by the way, go home to your mothers. So Orpah says, okay, gives uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, a big hug and goes home. Ruth says, no, I'm not going to leave. And in a beautiful passage, it gets used in weddings a lot. There's a gorgeous passage in Ruth 1, 16 and 17 that, that I just absolutely love. This is what Ruth says to uh, flip that around. This is what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. She says, let's see if we've got focus. Hmm. All right, we're going to do it this way. This is the joy of live TV. You never know what's going to happen. It's like NASCAR. You just sort of watch it and see. And I'm not getting any focus on this little puppy right now. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus it with my hand. That works sometimes. Ah, there we go. She says, do not urge me to leave you. Do not urge me to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge... I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll also be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. What a beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. Don't ever urge me to go. Don't ever urge me to leave you. I won't. Wherever you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And may God do worse things to me if anything but death separates me from you. So within the framework of that, uh, Ruth returns with Naomi to Bethlehem. And the people of Bethlehem say, whoa you left with a husband and two sons. You've come back, a widow, and you've got a widowed daughter-in-law from Moab? What gives? Talk to us, Naomi. Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara instead. Because my life has been tough. And so, with that, we end chapter 1. Now comes chapter 2. Two. If you see the picture, you'll see Ruth is out gathering among the, le- the, the crops in the field. That's what happens in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is a chapter where Ruth has to get food for the family. So Naomi says, listen, go out in the fields. God had set up Israelite law so that when you farmed your field when you had your reapers out there gathering they were told if some stuff falls on the ground between the rows or if you've got rows around the edges leave those alone and that's a way that people who are impoverished can come and get food they have to work some for the food but they get the food And it was uh, non-government welfare, if you will. And so Ruth is told to go be one of those people to try to get some of the grain. Now, she's out there doing this, and the owner of the field she lands in, his name's Boaz. Boaz sees her among the others that are not official uh, harvesters. And, and, And in fact... Boaz says, who's, who's that one? That one over there. And they said, she's the one from Moab. She's an international harvester. That's a joke for anybody who's a real farmer. She's uh, uh, from Moab, and she's the one who's a widow, and she is the daughter-in-law of the widow, Naomi. And he must have had an eye out for her and found her um, uh, attractive, interesting, Alluring because Boaz pulls aside his harvesters and says, Hey, leave a little extra for her. So Naomi's able to get a bunch of good crop. I, I mean, Ruth is, and she takes it home to Naomi. Naomi says, Tell me what's going on. And she says, Man, I was in the field of Boaz and it was great, da 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 da. And Naomi says, Hey, Boaz is a relative. Go back to his field, keep doing it there. So she, Ruth keeps going back to Boaz's field and everything's going great and they finish one harvest of barley and they finish the harvest of wheat and she's accumulating good food to last them and that is chapter 2. So on the PowerPoint now, we'll look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 is one where the scene shifts. Now they've harvested but after the harvest, what they would do is they would accumulate the crops on a hilltop, a flattened hilltop, a high place that's flat where the wind will blow. And they could use that to take the wheat, for example, and to crush it, but to throw it up and the wind would blow away the chaff and leave the kernels of wheat. And so uh, uh, they're on the threshing floor where they thresh the wheat. And you don't go there and and thresh the wheat all day if you're an owner and then just go home at night that's an easy way for thieves to come so the owner you can bet he and and his uh uh, guards or whomever are going to camp out and stay there to protect their harvest and everybody knows this this is standard so naomi tells ruth you go there now Find where Boaz is, wait until the night after he's eaten, he's had something to drink, he's happy, he's tired from a long day of work, he'll go to sleep. <clears throat> but you go there, and you uncover his feet, and you uh, uh, sleep at his feet. So Ruth does it. Boaz wakes and says, what, who, who are you? Now, you might be thinking, well, why didn't he know? this is before light bulbs okay it's not like hey turn on the light i want to see who this person is at my feet it's more like hey who are you my feet are uncovered what's going on here ruth says it's i it's ruth and 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 i want you to to cover me with your your covers in essence this is kind of weird. And my daughters are watching this. They need to not get any ideas from this. But Ruth is, in essence, proposing to Boaz. She's saying to him, would you take me as your wife? And Boaz says, look, I know as a kinsman, I've got an opportunity to take you as a wife. But there's a kinsman... Who's closer than I who has the opportunity first? So you go on home. He gives her like a boatload of crop. Says, you can't go home empty-handed. He just gives her like six measures of this food harvest. And so he says, go on home and, and let me deal with this. And so she does. And that's the end of chapter three. Now we go to the final chapter, chapter four. In chapter four, Naomi, the mother-in-law, says to Ruth when she gets home, "Hey, tell me how it went." Ruth says, "Man, I did it exactly like you said, and here's what happened, and here's what happened." And he said that he would would uh, um, you know take take care of figuring this out. And so Naomi, knowing the ways of the world and men, <clears throat> said. You know, this is the kind of thing you're not going to have to wait on. He's going to take care of this today. He's going to tend to business. And sure enough, Boaz goes outside the gates of Bethlehem, and that's where business was done. And he gets a minion. He gets 10 of the elders of the city. And he finds the kinsman that's closer than him, and he says, hey, you know, one of us has a right to buy the field, to redeem and buy the field, that Elimelech used to have. We can buy that back and bring it back into the clan. And you're closer than I am. You can buy that field. Guy says, I'm going to buy it. You bet I'm going to buy it. This is a good day. And then Boaz says, but there is a rub. Guy says, what's the rub? He says, well, it comes with a wife. Because one of the male children had been married and the wife is here and she's a foreigner. So you got to take her as a wife too. And the guy says, oh, I can't do that. My wife at home is not going to be real happy if I come home and say, look what I bought. A field and oh, by the way, it comes with another woman. Besides, if I have children with this other woman, then the money that I've put into that field will go to her descendants and it'll dilute what my kids get. So my kids aren't going to be too pleased either. So I don't want anything to do with this. Boaz says, don't worry about it. I got your back. And let's evidence this in front of everybody. And everybody gets the evidence, and it's there. And Boaz gets to step in in a just manner and acquires that field. Now, if we go back to the PowerPoint for a moment and you look at the picture, you'll see in this set... The Chapter 1 is Ruth entreating Naomi, don't let me leave. I want to stay with you. Chapter 2, she's gleaning in the fields, and you can see Boaz in the distance pointing to her, saying, who's that one? Chapter 3 is her uncovering his feet on the threshing room floor. But chapter 4 is an incredible chapter because Boaz and Ruth get married And they have a son. And the son's name is Obed. means servant in the Hebrew. Obed. And then Obed has a son, Jesse. And then Jesse has a son. So the great-grandson of Ruth is King David. Starts out as a shepherd boy in Bethlehem on the family property and becomes the king of Israel. Now, that's the story. So if that's the story, I want to do something with you for a moment. I want to look at it again, but I want to look at it through sonogram pictures. If you've ever, it's Mother's Day. And uh, mothers today and for the last 20 years get little sonograms. 30 years sonograms of their babies and you can look at it and say oh there's a foot or you know th- you know this is uh, uh, an arm look he's sucking his finger or she's sucking her finger and you can tell a lot about it's not seeing the child there's still all the difference in the world I mean, I've never seen or heard of a mom who gives birth to a child, and when they say, would you like to hold your baby, she says, no, I've got the sonogram picture, I'm fine, just send him on to the nursery, I've seen him or her. No, the the difference between the sonogram and the reality is profound, but you can look at the sonogram and you can learn some things. So I want to look at the sonogram pictures and I want to look at this story again by looking at some of the names that are used and the storyline basics that are told and then the implications. So let's start with the names. This story tells great if you know what the names mean. It starts out with a fellow whose name is God is King. In Hebrew you would say Elimelech. But God is king at the start of this story. And he marries a woman whose name is Pleasant. Or Naomi. So God is king and he marries a pleasant woman. And they live in a bakery. In the bread basket. In the house of bread. In Hebrew, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And that's the story. Look, that's a good start to a story. Things are looking pretty good there. But it's not paradise forever. Because a famine sets in. And when the famine sets in, you've got these sons being born as things are starting to get dry. One of them they name weakly. Machlon. Weak. He's a weak boy. Or it's a weak time. Then they get another son, pining. Kilion. Pining, longing. Melancholy desire. I, I, I would not want to name any of my kids that. But those are the names. And the famine then sets in, and the famine gets entrenched, and the family has to make the big move. Now, the big move is, let's go to the IPVO, please. Brent, let's see if I can pull this back. Here is, thank you to NASA, a satellite view. Hold on, we should do it this way. A satellite view of Israel. Let me pull back a little bit. Yeah, so this is Israel. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea, if you've ever gone. Jerusalem is right here. All right? Now, just a little bit south of Jerusalem is the scene for all of this action. We'll use a circle, but here's Bethlehem. Now, that yellow doesn't do it. Let's try green. Does that help show up a little bit? Um, Here, we'll do there that's bethlehem now bethlehem has a famine the house of bread is breadless so they move over to moab moab's on the other side of the dead sea they run down probably cross over the jordan uh, they go down the jericho oasis cross over the jordan and into moab and that's where they set up so if we go back to the powerpoint for a moment Things are looking good. The famine comes. They go to Moab and they have to leave Bethlehem. It's gone. And then all of a sudden, God is king, is dead. And then weakly dies and Pining dies and it leaves Pleasant with two Moabite daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah goes back to mama, leaves Naomi with Ruth. They go back to Bethlehem. Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. I'm not pleasant. Call me bitter, which is what Mara means. And that's the status of things until Boaz. Now, Boaz doesn't... uh, Boaz, if you say it, it sounds like the, the Hebrew for "in him is strength." It doesn't actually mean it, but that's what it sounds like. It's probably got a different etymology, but it sounds Oz is strength in Hebrew. You, you remember that because the Wizard of Oz. That's that's where where that uh, title comes from. Oz strength. So now let's go to the storyline away from the names, it's kinda got three good parts. It begins with Elimelech, God reigns, God is king. His people are happy and pleasant, and life is good. Then what happens? The earth becomes barren, and famine sets in, and death sets in on the family, and it takes even a pleasant person And brings forth bitterness as she feels God's been bitter with her. Into that scene comes the strength, comes Boaz, and Boaz comes to redeem Ruth. And he does. And as a result, life is good again. They're married. Love triumphs in this story, and God reigns as the progeny, David, comes forth in the coming generations. So looking at the sonogram picture is pretty good. But there's more to it than we've just looked at, because I want to take it and see the sonogram picture of Jesus here. And so I want to start that out by pointing out something. The point of the genealogy and the story in the prophet section of the Bible on Ruth, the point of that is prelude to a king. You see, in Ruth, if we go back to the PowerPoint, in Ruth, we get the passage that reflects King David coming at the end. It says at the end, Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He went into her. The Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. The women said, blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. God sends redemption to the barren and the deaf and the despair and the bitterness of his people. That's the love story here. This is not a love story just of Boaz falling in love with Ruth. This is a love story that's orchestrated from on high, from God, the lover of humanity. This is a story that wraps around the character of God The Redeemer. Who will come forward and justly redeem his people. If you look, this is prelude to a king. I mean, the passage specifically says that Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And it also goes back to Perez the son of Judah so it's the whole line from Judah Uh, you know they skip generations as they always do but it's given there now here's the unique part of this while Ruth the prophet book Ruth gives the genealogy from Judah to King David out of all of the genealogies Matthew could choose for Jesus Because let's face it, all of us have multiple genealogies. Uh, I I can go through my mom. I could go through my dad. I could go through my grandmother on my mom's side, the grandfather on my mom's side, the grandmother on my dad's side, the grandfather. I mean, the family tree fans, and there are lots of roads through that tree for genealogy. Matthew's writing his gospel, a gospel of the kingdom of God. He uses that phrase, kingdom of God, more than anybody else in the Bible. Matthew's writing about the kingdom of God that is presided over by King Jesus. And he starts with genealogy. A lot of people are reading Matthew. They're saying, why am I reading all this genealogy? So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. Matthew quotes the genealogy straight out of Ruth out of all of the choices of genealogy, Luke uses a different genealogy, Matthew goes to Ruth and quotes it directly out of Ruth. Because Ruth not only points to King David, but Matthew then takes the genealogy from King David to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And so we see in this Not only do we see prelude to a king, we'll also see a prelude to the king of kings. Another sonogram picture. Boaz is a just redeemer. He doesn't just redeem the people. He doesn't just redeem Naomi in the field and Ruth. But he says, there's a process for this. There's a just process. And I've got to go through and do this right. I've got to dot my I's and cross my T's. So he goes and he says, now, I'm going to take care of it, but I've got to do it in a just fashion. Redemption can't be done on the sly. Redemption can't be done halfway or it's not a secure redemption. And that's a beautiful picture because as Boaz is a just redeemer, Christ Jesus is the just redeemer, capital R. Christ Jesus comes and says in this love story, I'm going to redeem my people and I'll do it justly. The the crucifixion and the resurrection are not options. It's not a way to save the people. It's the just way. And so God in Jesus is a just redeemer buying his people back from their bondage. And that's the beauty of the story. Now, there are some other nice little passages in here. Let me give you a couple on the PowerPoint. First of all, um, uh, wings. When Boaz is talking to Ruth, Boaz talks about uh, uh, taking care of her. And the passage is used that he, uh, that God has protected her and gathered her under his wings like a hen, in a sense, does her chicks or brood this is an expression and and then boaz does the same thing for ruth when he when she comes and, and gets at his feet in the night he extends his cloak over her it's 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 that same idea of transferring of being under the wings of of his people this is the way of god jesus in matthew 23 looks at jerusalem and says Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you under my wing as a hen does her brood, but you would not. Jesus says, I would have done the very thing that God does. I would have reached out and taken care of you the way Boaz did, but you won't let me. It's a tragic scripture. Also interesting because Boaz sits with Ruth and he gives her food while she's gleaning bread and wine the elements of the Eucharist that Jesus shares with his apostles. And he does all of this within the framework of being a Hebrew word, chesed. Chesed is translated love, it's translated loyalty, it's translated uh, um, all sorts of things, but at its root is is a covenant faithfulness. This idea that I'm going to be faithful to the promise. If I make a promise, I'm going to follow through. I'm going to be faithful to the relationship. And all of those elements are found in Jesus and the way he treats his people. He gathers us under his wings. He breaks his body for us in the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the communion, the bread and the wine. And he is the pinnacle of an example of someone who is loyal To his covenant and his obligations. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He's not finicky. He's not fickle. He's not sort of reliable. He's not most of the time there. He is constant. And so we've got some implications from this story. What are the implications? Well, this is an Old Testament love story that previews the love that Jesus has for his church. Remember, now by church here, I'm not talking about a Baptist church. I'm not talking about a Presbyterian church. I'm not talking about a Catholic church. I'm not talking about a church of, of whatever it may be. I'm talking about the one church, as Paul uses the language in Ephesians. The one group of believers, regardless of which building they go to and which denomination they're affiliated with. Those people who are living in covenant relationship with the Lord through Jesus. Those people, let me say that again, who are living in a covenant relationship with the Lord through Jesus. That church is written about in Scripture. In the book of Revelation, where God reveals a vision to John that John records for the church for all ages, and so it's in our Bible, it's the last book of the Bible. Toward the very end, Revelation chapter 19, you have this beautiful passage. Here's what it says. Let us rejoice and exalt and give God the glory because the marriage... Of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The love story of of Boaz and Ruth is a love story that's got echoes of the true eternal love story of God and his people, the God who is king and his people. The God who says, I will come and redeem my people. And they will be like unto me a bride. Jesus uses examples like this over and over and over when he's talking to people. He talks, when the Pharisees come up whining and sniveling because Jesus seems kind of hypocritical. Here Jesus is supposedly this holy guy. Yet, while scribes and Pharisees are fasting all the time, Jesus' apostles don't seem to be fasting. Seems kind of hypocritical. You're a holy Joe, and you don't teach your followers to fast. We fast to the glory of the Lord. And Jesus responds to him and says, you don't understand. This is a marriage celebration going on. The the bridegroom is here. Jesus is, is look at the way Paul says it. Paul says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Because Paul says, I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. That Christ and the church ultimately are the final picture. The the final picture Of the ultimate love story. The pursuit of God to redeem his people. And I love that. It's the story that's reflected in the chapel booklet. Because this is what we painted. Not just in the Ruth vignette. But all of the vignettes tell the story. They tell the story of the fall of humanity. Of God's prophetic promise to redeem that which was fallen the redemption in the wings of the, the the chapel and the promise at the end that Jesus will come again the bridegroom will come to take his bride and he do a skene to behold the dwelling of God is with men and he will dwell with them That's the promise at the end of Revelation. God is coming again to take his bride home. You know, there are a lot of gals that grow up. Um, I have four daughters and one granddaughter. There are a lot of gals that grow up with an idea thinking about their wedding. What it's going to be like. Is Prince Charming gonna come sweep them off their feet? Will all of the butterflies fly around them when it happens and the flowers perk up and rabbits and deer follow around and make it beautiful like it happens in a Walt Disney movie? I don't ever try to stifle those dreams I mean, the world's realistic and my daughters are all well-grounded in realism. But I will tell you this. The Disney stories pale in comparison to the true love story about the prince, the king of kings, who's coming for his bride. And our responsibility... Is to not be like the people of Jerusalem. Who were spurning Jesus. As he says Jerusalem. Jerusalem the city that killed the prophets. How I would have gathered you under my wing. As a hen does her brood. But you wouldn't. We don't want to be that. We want to be the people who say. Lord. Come quickly. I am yours. And we see this cosmic love story come to a great conclusion well that does us for this morning with a couple of housekeeping matters and don't hang up don't sign off i got a phil keggy mother's day special coming but before i do that um We really have enjoyed getting to connect with you. One of the hardest parts about not being able to teach live is when we teach live, I can visit with people after class. I can visit with people before class. Brent can do the same. We know what's going on in people's world. But your emails and your connection with us is still allowing us to do that. So I thank you for that. And I want to give you again, this is an email address for us, info at LanierFoundation.org. And if you want to email us, we're glad to send you a link that would allow you to download the chapel booklet. So you can look at it, read it, and understand it. Because all we're about here is the message. And We all have other, but for the love story, I wouldn't be standing here right now. But the love story is what makes this count. It's real. And anything we can do to convey that to you is why we exist in this space right now. So if you want to email us, info at lanierfoundation.org, Lanier we'll send you links to the chapel booklet. We've been honored to get prayer requests from folks, and we've been praying through those diligently. Only three of us see them, but Brent, myself, and uh, uh, David, who's a director of spiritual development here, the three of us see those, and we pray about those. And so we're honored for that. I want to pray over you now, and then we'll move to Phil Keggy. Father, thank you so much for everyone that you're calling. That sense we have, Father, that longing and desire for a relationship that's meaningful, that's joyful, that's fruitful. Redemption from a barren land. Redemption from from profitless living. Redemption from despair and bitterness. May we seek you, may we embrace you. May we find in the resurrection of Jesus your justification for us, your right standing, your just redemption, your purchase of us. And may we trust you with that, Father, confessing ourselves as sinners in desperate need of the salvation that you give us. This is our prayer in Jesus, amen. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, Phil Keggy, I join him in wishing you a happy Mother's Day. We're keeping our Beatles songs going uh, with Corona. This Beatles song has uh, got some Mother's Day tinge to it for you. So here you go. One, two, three,
1: five. Well, she was just quarantine. She looked a little...